In this episode, we're talking about how to minimize the risks when transitioning to self-employment. My name is Lou Blazer. You're listening to Second Breaks, and this is episode 120. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Second Breaks, where we talk about making smart career moves, no matter if it's your second, third, or fourth act, and thriving in a changing world of work. Now, today, this episode is the penultimate episode to the side hustle series that we've been running on the podcast. And we are going to be talking about risks, financial risks in particular, when we're getting ready to make the jump. Now, it may not always be the reason, but many who start a side hustle or a side project are hoping to be able to leave their day job one day. The decision is often based on how much they've been able to grow the side hustle and their best projection of continued growth. But there is always that risk that you feel when you're giving up a stable salary. So today we're going to talk about how we can minimize the risks when we're considering, when we're finally getting ready to move to self-employment or to start a freelance career. Now, my guest today is Matt Baker. Matt is a money strategist and a business coach who's passionate about helping entrepreneurs solve their most challenging problems. He is the vice president of corporate strategy and international expansion at FreshBooks, where he helps millions of self-employed professionals grow their businesses and get paid faster. In this episode, Matt shared many of the findings from the self-employment survey that FreshBooks conducts annually. We talk about specific steps that you can take to de-risk your transition to self-employment. We talk about how to price your services and the important mindset that you want to have when you're pricing your services. And we also talked about how to overcome the obstacles that first-time freelancers and business owners face. So this is one of those episodes where you're going to want to have a notepad ready because you're going to take notes. But if you're like me and you listen to podcasts on the go, not to worry because if you go to the website, secondbreaks.com forward slash podcasts, you're going to find the show notes to this episode. Actually, more than the show notes, you're going to find the transcript uh, to my conversation with Matt. Before I introduce Matt Baker, I just wanted to take a brief minute here to talk a little bit about Second Breaks, the newsletter. Now, this is not an email that simply announces new episodes of the podcast because who wants that kind of an email? We don't need emails like that to clutter our inboxes. Second Breaks newsletter is a curated resource to help you with your career, and it is sourced from the best and the most current information found out there. You and I both know that we need to stay on top of industry trends and the latest developments, the latest thinking and strategies that are working to navigate the future of work. But the issue is time, right? Who's got the time? We are all drowning with information and content and the deluge of data. And we're busy enough as it is, who's got the time? This is where you can rely on Second Breaks because I take the time to comb through magazines, trade journals, research studies, blogs, podcasts, books, and so on to find the most relevant information to help you thrive in your career. Because the sole aim of Second Breaks, whether it's through the newsletter or this podcast, is to get you better informed and equipped 
to make decisions, grab opportunities, and meet today's unique challenges. I invite you to give Second Breaks a try. It's a free newsletter. All you have to do is sign up for it and you can cancel anytime if it's not your cup of tea. You can go to secondbreaks.com forward slash newsletter to give it a try. Okie dokie, let's get on with the show. Matt Baker, welcome to Second Breaks. Thank you so much for joining me. Lou, thank you. I'm excited to be here. So we have been running a series around side hustles on the podcast. So we've been talking about the idea of ha- having a side hustle, a side gig, a moonlighting gig on the side of your regular nine to five. And one of the things that I have been hearing about from listeners is this idea that starting a side hustle is great. And a lot of them are are, are doing that because the, the idea of flexibility down the line, the the freedom, that kind of stuff is is good. So they are willing to start a side hustle. But the risk, there is a risk that they can't get out of their minds. The risk associated with leaving a quote unquote stable salary where I expect my twice a month or once a month, whatever the arrangement is, salary. And then moving into self-employment sounds very risky. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, from your perspective, are there ways to minimize <laughs> minimize this risk that's associated to moving to self-employment? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a great question. And I think risk and, and sort of the fear that comes out of some of that risk is really a, a big um, you know, barrier for, for a lot of folks. And we do an annual study uh, at FreshBooks called the Self-Employed in America Report. And we try to um, survey through the study, you know, thousands of um, uh, thousands of Americans and get inside the psychology and the understanding of um, why, you know, how interested are you in becoming self-employed in some way, like a, a side hustle or a, or a moonlighter, as you said. And then, and then if you want to, why haven't you done it? You know, and we try to, you know, understand that. By the way, I love the the uh, the use of the word uh, moonlighter because it it really helps um, per, you know helps people understand that this is over and above your job a lot of times which is which is a you know it's a it's a big commitment and um, you know so you want to um, you know set yourself up for success but but anyhow when we did the study and we looked at what are some of the um, the risks that people face we broke it into hard barriers that we called and, and soft barriers and so hard are a little bit more things like um, you know, let's say one out of four people are saying, you know what, I don't know if I have enough cash to invest to really, you know, to really get started in this business idea I have. Or, you know what, um, uh, slightly less than that, people are saying, you know, I, I need some more training still. You know, so may, maybe I want to be, you know, a photographer, a graphic designer, or, you know, a, a tradesman, but I just don't have, you know, the, the requisite skill set yet. I need to do a little bit more training. Um, or even somebody saying, uh, um, for instance, I have health benefits today. I'm really concerned about what happens tomorrow if I don't have those health benefits. So those uh, are examples of the of the hard barriers, and um, and they're real real challenges that people face. And then more on the softer side, we hear is um, concern about um, you know something like one out of three concern about inconsistent income. I often call it lumpy and lumpy income I like but that. it's this idea yeah that's this idea that you know you're not going to have a paycheck every two weeks or once a month that is um you know the exact same amount almost every time like you do with a traditional job um there's worry about earning less which of course uh, you know it, it is a risk if you don't um have uh, an understanding of how you're going to build your pipeline of clients or your book of clients however you you think about that um also some softer barriers where um you know maybe i need a business plan 
maybe I got to you know get a little stronger about the idea that I have, or um, or it's not you know I, I got to finish some stuff at my current job before I make the leap. Um, so that gives us a bucket of you know call it eight or ten you know core risks that people are identifying, um, and so then um, you know more specifically back to your question is what do you do about that at the end of the day, um, and I think practically you can, you know, just ask yourself three or four questions to, to, to try to gain enough uh, of that confidence. One is, you know, do I have enough funding to get my business off the ground? And if the answer is yes, then you can at least, you know, uh, feel more confident. And if the answer is no, uh, there's probably a, a little bit of an exercise to say, well, how much is needed? And what do I have today? And is there a gap? And then in your mind, you can start to plan, okay, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do this, um, this side hustle, you know, for this amount of time where I'm going to start it, you know, at the end of the year and you have some goals at least to, to, to make it a little bit more uh, programmatic. So anyway, the funding is a good one. Um, the other one is just um, to take away the risk is to think about taxes and benefits. So I, I mentioned health benefits already. Taxes is another one um, just to understand that um, when you get paid as a side hustle or, or, or self-employed uh, in any way, you know, typically not all that money is going to be yours, you know, you know, 30% of it is going to go to the government, uh, sort of thing. So just, you know, thinking through that, um, which also opens up a whole nother uh, conversation around what to charge because, you know, you, you, it's the money's not yours necessarily. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think the other one we mentioned was business plan. That's a great way to de-risk this, uh, this, this idea is to go through and, you know, look through the sort of the, well, you call it the life cycle or the stages of your business to get an idea of, um, you know, do I understand how I'm going to work a client through or how I'm going to get new clients or how I'm going to, you know, um, uh, do I need help and how am I going to get, uh, you know, um, contractors or, or partners to help with this. And then, and then the last one, I think that's a really interesting one on de-risking is just, um, taking a look at the emotional ups and downs of running a business. You can do that by talking to other people that have already done it. Um, it's, it's such an interesting space because this is where it gets into the, the, the psychology of it. But what we find in our data is that for the people who make the switch and, and really do self-employment, they have absolutely no interest in going back. And so the rewards honestly are there from all indications that I can see. Um, but, uh, you know, you got to make it to the other side, so to speak. Um, and you know, it can be really tough at the beginning. It can be, you know, not consistently positive the way that we talked about things like lumpy income. So there's definitely a roller coaster that, um, you, you, you sort of have to set yourself up for. And, um, like I said, it, it feels like if you can make it work and you can get to the other side, um, you are in fact going to feel more, uh, you know, fulfilling about your career. But, um, but you know, it's, it's not, it's not a straight line, so to speak, um, from here to there, it, 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 it you know, it, it's gonna, um, there's going to be challenges because you ultimately you have to wear every hat for your business at some point, you know? And so, and so it's such a learning curve. Um, but, uh, you, so you sort of have to, you know, feel like you're in a space where, uh, you're ready to do it. You know, it, maybe one other example I'll give you before I pause is just this idea of, um, you know, am I, am I going to be lonely? You know, that's also a big, a big concern for people. And what we found in our, and our research is that way more people think they're going to be lonely than they actually feel lonely once they do it. But that underscores this idea that it's it's a it's a risk and it's a concern. And so, um, you know, de-risking it is you know maybe thinking about how you would get around it. You know, you could think about what are you going to do to network, or maybe you work out of a co-working space. Um, anyhow, just uncovering a lot of these risks is how I think is is the best way to start de-risking them. So one thing about the survey that you mentioned that FreshBooks uh, does, do they do you do it annually? Well, yeah, we, we've done three now. 
So we did the third one. And then what we try to do is also then um, just try to break out some pieces of it and do a little bit deeper. And so then we try to go a little bit deeper on something like gender. Um, and so and so just understand, you know, um, the, how are how are women uh, embracing self-employment and what's it like uh, versus, you know, the average. Or we'll look at something like just a generation. You know, millennials are now the largest part of, of it. But we've also looked at baby boomers, for instance, um, who there's way more people um, self-employed. Um, that are baby boomers and people realize because a lot of the popular media is focused on uh, the millennial who's doing a side hustle um, and maybe setting up an e-commerce store or something like that is just often what you hear more, more, more frequently. Do you guys publish the results of the survey or is it for internal purposes only? Yeah, we, in fact, we do publish them. Uh, if you go to freshbooks.com um, or you search for the FreshBooks annual report, you absolutely uh, will find it. You can find all three if you'd like, as well as um, some of the additional information, um, you know, some of those uh, additional reports that I mentioned. Oh, perfect. I'm definitely going to check that out. I'm interested to see sort of, I don't know if there has been any sort of uh, shifts in trends that you've noticed. I mean, you talked about the the generational interest in, in going self-employment and do you find, I, I think, and I don't know, maybe it's just my bias because of what I'm seeing, algorithm-driven stuff on the internet, right? But a lot of talk, as you mentioned, is focused on how the new, the younger generation are all about the gig economy. But are you noticing that more of the older, the Gen Xers and the younger boomers are embracing this too? Yeah, you know, I, I think... Um... I, I, if I take a step back and think, well, what are the what are the key trends that I saw in the report, and how can I how can I answer a question around um, if baby boomers are are embracing self employment and, mm -hmm. and side hustles and things of that nature? Um, I, I would say uh, absolutely. In fact, the the way that I sort of view the report is that baby boomers have been doing this well before it was called a side hustle, um, <laughs> or, or or it had some other name, right? Um, it's it's like there's you know there's a portion of all generation that finds a lot more uh, worth and 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 reward and and working for themselves as opposed to to working for it. I do think that the 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 stigma or the perception of working for yourself has improved. Um, I have yeah. spoken to a lot of people that are in the older generations that said you know being a freelancer was looked down upon you know more so uh, in the past than it is today. And so today it's it's viewed as you know if I want to work for myself. Um, it's empowering and it helps me be autonomous and it's a bit of independence. Whereas in the past it would be sometimes viewed as, Oh, well, I guess they couldn't get, you know, a traditional job. Mm. So now they're, yes. now they're out, you know, they're out working, you know, side hustle. So I, I think, um, we definitely see that, um, in fact, it, it, the baby boomers as well, um, on average earn more because they've been doing it longer and they've actually built, you know, much more sustainable, uh, businesses. Um, you know, there are some that are getting pushed into it as they get older, but a lot of the people that are in self-employment have been there for a long time. Um, and then just to highlight, I guess, a few other things that I thought were really interesting. If I just look at those three-year trends, you know, the one thing is I mentioned earlier around the people who've made the switch, how they don't want to go back. That's yeah. been consistent. That's been consistent in every year that we've seen. So, so that's why I can I feel so confident in in, in in talking about it that way. We definitely have seen the age shift downward. So we see definitely more millennials. We've also seen um, the number of people who are going into self-employment. Um, we've seen the percentage who have a college degree going down, um, and that's an indication. I think that. Um, maybe it's just growing overall, so it's a larger pool of people moving into it, um, so it just kind of de-averages it. Or a lot of the fields that people are 
taking on and a lot of the professions or a lot of the types of jobs people are doing when they're working for themselves, no longer is it, you know, required to have an undergraduate degree. Um, because a lot of these jobs are new. A lot of these jobs didn't exist, you know, five years ago. And let's say you're a social media strategist or a social, you know, what, whatever you'd call that. Job. SEO expert, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. SEO expert. So I'm not saying education is bad at all, but it's probably not, you know, the one thing that's, you know, the college education is probably not what determines whether or not you're a good SEO special. It gives you a great foundation and a lot of, uh, you know, critical and analytical thinking. So, you know, I, I, I personally am glad that I went to, you know, university. But, but um, the, yeah, the point is we're, we're definitely seeing, uh, you know, that shift down. So there, there are some interesting uh, trend, trends in there for sure. I'm definitely going to check that out and I'm going to include those links on the show notes. So for the listeners, if you're interested, I'm going to have the links to the reports, the surveys on the show notes. I'm talking to a money money expert guys i'm dying to ask this question so for for you know for somebody who's always been employed right and who's thinking of maybe i want to parlay my love and my interest in photography and be a freelance photographer or whatever it is right and so the typical uh, mathematical calculation that goes into my mind is how many hours can I work or how many clients can I get times how much the rate per hour, right? And so this idea that if I want to earn X, if I want to earn $5,000 from my side gig, I have to, you know, uh, have X number of clients or, you know, have X number of fees, right? Or, or X number of dollars, whatever per hour. That's, that's a typical calculation. And so I just was wondering, and I don't know if this is a dumb question, Matt, but is there another way of approaching that calculation other than hours times rate? Yeah, Lou, I, I, love, I love the question. And I think this, this, this space is fascinating, particularly because it's also a mindset piece. And if I just, you know, use what you're using an example to set a bit of context, uh, you know, I think we all understand what an hour, hourly rate is. Mm. We, we also all understand what an annual income is. Mm. So if I were to say, you know, what does a photographer make? Well, you're probably going to tell me, oh, they make this much an hour, or you could expect to make approximately this much per year. And so those are things that are out there in terms of how we can understand one profession to another or, or one client to another. Those are not, uh, you know, necessarily bad, and they're always going to be helpful to to benchmark and to judge, um, you know, how you're doing. But uh, but absolutely, I would say you want to find a way to get out of having a set rate per hour, and then you just work against that because you'll always be capped and you'll always be at a ceiling. And in fact, that's treating yourself a bit like a traditional employee that has a fixed rate and uh or a fixed salary a lots of people um, who are employees they have a salary based on 40 hours but they work way more than 40 hours yeah. so in fact so in fact per hour they're making less than than their contract says they should so when you get the opportunity to move into self-employment or take a side hustle however you, you're thinking about that this is an opportunity to change your mindset and think about it differently and in particular the best um you know the best uh way that i like to think about it is um as i was mentioning when you're getting paid per hour, that's more of a traditional job. I grew up in the Midwest with a lot of automotive factories around. People would punch the clock and they'd get paid per hour. And they'd work extra hours because maybe you got time and a half or something. But you were always limited by how much you could work. You know, you can't, you, you, you got to sleep a little bit every day, right? I mean, <laughs> and you can't just work, work, work. So, so, um, so in, anyway, in order to break away from that, um, 
what I've heard from and seen, and it feels to me as the, um, the strongest way to break away from that is to flip the mindset around and think about the value you're providing to your clients. And so a great example is often something like um, website, um, uh, like website design or website mm-hmm. conversion. And so if you have a website that is meaning to bring in business, you know, you can baseline how much business is coming in today and then there's a website project and how much business is coming in tomorrow um, or three months away, whatever the, you know, the project takes. But the point is um, that is a way that you could understand some value. Maybe you've you know, tripled the leads coming into this business um, that, as a project that you've done and that is worth way more than whatever you would set, you know, charge um, per hour. And, and the last thing I'll say, I guess, is just once you unlock that, I, I'm also not suggesting that you understand the value and then you price it so that you get all that value. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's a it's meant to be a win win, right? And I think what happens is if you're just charging per hour, really it's the your clients that are winning, you know, more than you, um, because you're not sharing in any of the upside and the value that you're creating, and you're creating a ton of value when you go out and work, you know, work for yourself. Um, and so you 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 want to anyhow in, get to a point where it's a win win, and then I think. Um, you also get a lot more experience in how to price effectively and how to choose your clients. And it kind of steamrolls from there and you, 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 um, are able to build a stronger business. And that's why it's hard sometimes to scale, um, for people who are using a platform that sets the price for them. Uh, for instance, you know, another, uh, constituency that's always in the news is things like the ride sharing drivers, mm-hmm. uh, whether Uber or Lyft or others. Um, but that system sets the price for them. And so you get part of the independence of a side hustle because you get to choose your hours and you get to choose where you work or, you know, uh, some, some things like that, but you don't get to set the price. Um, you don't get to own the client relationship. So it's a great way to test, you know, what it's like to, to work on the side. Um, but it's not, you know, in my estimation from talking to the people that have really grown their, their, their independent income, um, you need the ability to, um, have pricing control, uh, and that's why it's also so so important to to move away from from just selling one you know sort of fixed hourly rate um, you know uh, for perpetuity. A couple of things there, Matt. One is I love the way that you phrased and I wrote it down the value that you're providing to your clients, which is so very different from this feel good thing that I sometimes see on the internet, which annoys me. Is this whole uh, price what you're worth? Which is like, how is that helpful? And like, right? I mean, that is not very helpful. The price, what you're worth. Have you heard that advice? Yeah, you know, it's funny too because I, I you know, I don't know exactly the, the the instances that you've seen, but it almost, um, you know, to my mind, they're probably trying to get at the same thing. Ah. Uh, you know, my my guess would be, but then how do you know what you're worth? If that's oftentimes an internal um, feeling. What what am I worth? But what 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 I would say from the folks that you know, that I've seen that are the, the strongest here is that uh, it's not an internal feeling of what am I worth? Because that would just be saying, you know, instead of, instead of, you know, $100 an hour, I'm worth $300 an hour. Right. That's, it, it's this intrinsic sort of thing. Whereas, um, I think if you flip it around, you say, what, what, um, what is it worth to my clients? Then you can actually think about the value. You can, you can actually do some, some math and, and understand what that value uh, is and then and then you you get an idea of what your what your time's worth um, or what your projects are worth. Um, so anyway, to my to my mind, it's it's kind of hunting at the in the same space, but but you want to definitely look outward to to figure out the value. Um, and, and the market drives the value in a lot of cases as well. So all that outward uh, look is is certainly um, super super important. And you know, if I could put one plug in for like what's what's the one skill that that I've seen 
that makes the biggest difference between people who succeed in self-employment and people who, who don't. It's, it's the ability to go out and get your own clients. Hmm. Uh, that pipeline piece, and we see that people typically spend maybe 20% of their time doing that. So it doesn't have to be, you know, 80% of your time or anything like that, but your ability to look outward to find a client. And a lot of that finding a client is understanding what do they need. And then once you understand what they need, then then you're halfway there to understanding, okay, what value am I going to bring to them? And then how can I price this, this, this project or this work or my services properly? A lot of times I hear people, um, Obviously, they love this thing that typically they engage, they, they monetize the thing that they love to do. Like, I love to take photography on the side. So I'm going to try to be a photographer, right? I'm going to try to monetize this, right? Or whatever it is that I love to do. I'm going to try to see if I could earn money out of that thing that I love to do. Um, and so people think that once they start the, the side hustle, that that's what they're going to do. But actually, a good percentage of the time is looking for clients, is looking or building that pipeline. And without that, you're not going to be able to do the thing that you love to do. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that as well, which actually also ties to uh, something that you had said earlier, which I also wanted to go back to, you said earlier about the 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 emotional ups and downs that happens when you go to self-employment. Speaking from experience, because I had a 20-year corporate career before I did my you know self-employment thing, I, I did not think of the emotional ups and downs. <laughs> I was not at all prepared for that. I I was not at all thinking that there were going to be ups and downs. And so I thought it was I, I thought it was very, you know, I was very in the I have a plan. This is the plan, very linear, you know, that kind of stuff and the feely touchy feely things and emotional things, that's not an issue. I can handle that. And of course that wasn't the case. And self-employment is so different from um just you know, a corporate employee, right? The mindset. And so I was wondering if there are from, you know, what you've seen and you maybe touched on some of those already, but what are the sort of mindset sort of traps maybe <laughs> that we fall into, that people, you know, fall into when they switch, when they transition? Yeah. You know, in fact, maybe the best way to answer that one, and it's a great, um, it's a great way to think about, okay, what am I really getting into or what am I setting myself up for and having, uh, you know, a full, um, comprehension. I mean, it's just this idea that, uh, you want to have eyes wide open when you go into a new situation. Um, so one of the things that we, we try to do is understand, okay, what are expectations versus what's reality? A lot of this is compared to what do I think my life is going to be like when I move from a traditional job to being uh, independent. So you might get started with uh, a side hustle, but ultimately your, your goal is, uh, you know, in the short term, maybe it's just to augment income. But, you know, if it goes well, you'd like to, you know, do that full full time instead of, um, you know, a traditional job. And so we try to say, well, what are your expectations around things like, are you going to are you going to work harder? Are you going to have less stress? Are you going to have more of a work life balance? Are you going to are you going to earn more money? Are you going to have you know more uh, career certainty? Are you going to be healthier? Um, I mentioned earlier, are you going to be lonelier? You know, so we ask people their expectations for all those things and then try to talk to the people who've made the switch. And say, okay, what's the reality? Um, and there's an interesting, by and large, there is a, you know, it, it does align. But it's interesting that 
Um, it may it may be in the right direction, but there's cases when it's it's higher or lower. So an example would be we find that people generally don't work as hard as they think they're going to. <laughs> so, you know, like fixing it properly. Yeah, it's like you know, call it seventy five percent are like, oh, I'm absolutely going to work harder when I'm you know that's the expectation, and then you know instead of you know seventy five, maybe only sixty percent actually say I work harder. Now that's still more than half, and it's still lots of people. But it's just not necessarily as strong as the expectation. Uh, same, same thing with uh, stress. People um, generally have um, the they, they say I'm, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to have less stress. But fewer people say oh I actually I actually have less stress right. Um, and that's probably back to the thing we were talking about before where you wear so many hats. Um, you know you probably feel like you know you're going to have some stress in this role. Um, hopefully it's, you know, good stress and it's exciting in a way as opposed to just all, all, uh, you know, negative stress. But, um, but that's, you know, certainly that, that something that we watch out for. The other thing that people generally, um, say is, you know, I'm going to be healthier. And then in, in reality, um, lot more than half are still saying they're going to be healthier, but it's not as many as, as they said. So, um, I, I do think that that comes with the emotional side of things is that ultimately once you get there, you, you came in with a set of expectations. We're averaging those expectations. So, you know, there's going to be outliers as well. But what you get is probably not 100% aligned to your expectations. And I think that's part of what creates the, mm. the, the ups and downs. I think on, it, on average things, yeah, average things are moving that way. But, um, you know, loneliness is one of the greatest ones where like, you know, statistically four out of 10 are, are, are saying, absolutely, I'm going to be lonelier when I do this. But then in reality, only two out of 10 say that they're actually lonelier. Um, and it's probably because once you get to the other side, you realize, well, there's still lots of relationships out there for me. It's, a, you know, I'm not, I, I, I may be working from home, or I may be doing this thing on the side, but it's, I'm not locked in a room all day. Um, you know, uh, so um, anyhow, I think uh, there, there's a, there's a, there's a ton of interesting learnings there. And we, we'll, we'll continue to monitor and see, um, see how it changes. The other one, I guess the last one just to touch on is the expectation is often higher that you're going to make more money. And then the other side, well, maybe, maybe I'm not, you know, and it's still back to this idea of the, of the, um, uh, uh, of the total percentage is still more than half of the people are saying, yes, I'm actually making more money. But, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, much higher do, you know, if you've ever been in a, in a classroom where the, you're graded on a curve and a curve makes it, you know, makes the, um, the grades, you know, spaced out. If you ask the people up front, you know, raise your hand if you think you're going to get an A in the class you know, way more people are going to raise their hand than actually have space on the curve. So, you know, it's one of those things where just you just have a set of expectations and then reality doesn't always work, shake out that way. But, um, but yeah, anyway, so, so it's probably that spirit of just going in eyes wide open. I should totally complete this survey of yours the next time you run it, because I think I'm one of your outliers. Like I was laughing here when you were talking about the, the loneliness factor, because as an example, um, I'm so I'm an introvert, and so when I started doing this thing, and I basically home uh, work from home eighty percent of the time, and I spend a lot of time online like this, talking online via the camera and stuff like that. And I said, "Oh my God, this is going to be perfect for me. I'm an introvert. This is brilliant." You know what, Matt? I was so surprised. By, by like the sixth month or the seventh month, I was feeling lonely, and I was saying, "If I do not deliberately create." new relationships my net my circle is going to 
you know um yeah. <laughs> implode very quickly and i i was totally that's one of the things that i said i was totally unprepared a lot of the emotional ups and downs i was totally unprepared for so uh absolutely but uh uh i wanted to ask about fresh books because you've mentioned it a few times and for for some of the listeners who may not be aware of what fresh books is i wanted to to ask you a little bit about it but before i go there i just wanted to also um touch on something that you said which is another thing that is sort of impossible to understand or grapple with when you are an employee is this whole idea of you can work less and make more money right because as we already talked about before the rate you know that kind of thing but this this also this beyond the whole hours times rate per hour this whole idea of I can work less and make money is so anathema to what, what, what we know about work. And so uh, how do we grapple with that idea? Well, how do we think about that? Yeah, yeah. So great, great, great. It's just like, how do you, how, yeah, how, how do you work less and make more? I think part of the start, the thing I would start with too is part, partly there's a worth, work ethic hmm. that is a part of that conversation that makes it hard because if you work less, you immediately start to feel like maybe you're not doing enough. And that, that, that's the initial thing that I think starts to erode the mindset there is there's this feeling, you know, when you go out and you're doing something yourself, you know, you want to give it your all and you want to work hard. And so, um, you know, you're not going to start something and say, you know what, I'm only going to work half time, but I expect it to be great. You know, you, you sort of, you sort of expect it, you're going to work a lot. So mm. this idea of pulling back on the time is definitely at odds with that a little bit. Um, but if I put that aside for a moment and say, you know, the the spirit of it is let's not work excessively so much that it detracts from the rest of your life. Mm. Because, you know, with, in the spirit of work and life integration, you know, you don't want to be a workaholic um, when you have other commitments in your life. Um, and so the the example for me is back to what we were talking about before, about breaking out of the hourly um hourly uh, rate struggle, um, thinking about the, the value that we talked about, but also you can even think of it at a, at a project level. Um, when you are signing up to do a project um, for a client, it, you know, you have an opportunity there to price that project as a valuable product, regardless of how much time is worked. Your, mm. your client wants to know that you worked hard, but they don't ultimately, you know, your client is not going to care at, at the highest level, they're not going to care if you did it in 10 hours or 100 hours, so long as they perceive that you did high quality work and it's a value to them. And so I don't think you have to expose that. In fact, in some ways, when you charge hourly, it creates uh, a misalignment with your client because you're, you're then incentivized to work more hours because you want to earn, earn more. And they're, you know, they don't necessarily, you know, want that, you know, a client would want you to, to get it done as fast as you can get it done, typically. Um, and so uh, you can break away from that with the project piece. And then what's interesting, too, sometimes is that once you put a price tag on a project, internally, you can always ask yourself, it's a great budgeting exercise, how, how long do I think this is going to take? And then you can say, okay, what does that mean, like effectively as a cost per hour? Or a price per hour, and so I, I wouldn't recommend moving away from the the idea entirely. It's always good to come back and just understand um, what your rates are because that's what you know you can benchmark out in the market. But but I think you know to to lead with the rate to your client is is the thing that gets you stuck in the in the hourly piece. And you might find that um, you know when you do that math, hey, I didn't put I didn't I didn't charge enough for this project. Um, or you might really surprise yourself and say, wow, you know I've actually really 
uh, increase my prices more than I thought I could uh, because I've moved to this world in which I'm charging, you know, for for a project price that has a certain you know value attached to it. So, um, you know, that that's what I tend tend to think about. So, in some ways, instead of just saying work less, make more, you could say, how do I work, work, you know, work what I think I'm going to work, but make more doing it. Um, you know, that, that's another way of sort of unlocking, um, the thinking. Yeah. And also I suppose if you like, so for example, if you're a web designer, uh, maybe the first couple of projects takes you 12 hours, but maybe by the fifth or the seventh project, it'll take you, uh, eight or six hours because you've gained some efficiencies or you've learned how to do it faster and things like that. So, um, and it doesn't, to your point, just the fact that you you're doing it now faster doesn't mean that you should earn less because you're now doing it seven hours instead of 15. Yeah, if I just jump in on that, that that is, a, you know, a thousand percent correct. Like, why why would your improvements in your job lead to you making less, right? And so that's why you got to move out of the, 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 the time billing, um, you know, long term, absolutely. All right, so let's talk a little bit about FreshBooks. For the folks who are listening who do not know what FreshBooks is, could you talk a little bit about what it is exactly, who it's for, and what does it do? Yeah, so FreshBooks exists to help people who work for themselves. And uh, so that is entirely our, our market. Um, um, we, we, we have a tool that, uh, and software that allows you to invoice and do accounting when you work for yourself. And this gets to the point of, you know, it's often time-consuming, it's often hard uh, to, to take care of billing, um, and you want to get paid as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what we're trying to do is, is, is help you save time, look professional, and get paid through a system that, that can automate as much of it as possible. And as I said, you wear a bunch of hats when you do your business. You want to focus on your business. You want to be focused on talking to your clients, serving your clients. The last thing you want to do is be focused on um, you know, using Word or Excel to, to create an invoice template and, you know, resave that every time and send it and collect, you know, collect checks or, or, uh, um, deal with, you know, all, all of that sort of, uh, banking. And, and so, um, we, we try to make that as, as easy as we can for you and then also provide, um, some accounting reports that you get mm. if, if you use the service. And there's a couple of things in there that, you know, are really interesting if you, if you're listening to this as someone who's, sent out an invoice and then felt like, you know, people aren't paying you on time. And so we put some system, some, uh, processes in place where we send payment reminders to the clients so that they, you know, so that they, uh, they, they pay on time. And, you know, there's little things in there that, um, once you, once you experience what it's like to chase an invoice payment, you know, you don't want to do that again. Right. Um, right. so, you know, it, it's great to find a system, um, like this. And, um, anyhow, that's, that's uh, that's what FreshBooks does. That's why you know we, we we exist, and we certainly have lots of people that are you know, moonlighters or side side hustlers, as we talked about, all the way up to you know people who who make it full time by themselves, or now they're running a a firm, an agency, a consultancy, or some type of uh, you know multi person business. Um, but they're you know they're doing it themselves, and so a lot of tools um, that uh, that are out there, a lot of them aren't traditionally built for small businesses or or self employed. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. So is it appropriate to say it's almost like outsourcing your bookkeeping or your accounting hat? Is that appropriate to say that? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And it's a software piece. There are service, there are, you know, partners and services on top of it if you really want, you know, someone to, to physically do it. But otherwise, it's meant for you to be able to use with a ton of automation. And so, yeah, um, you know, you, you can say FreshBooks is doing your billing or FreshBooks is doing your accounting. Uh, that's that's that's. Uh, Absolutely a great way to think about it. 
All right. So, Matt, just a couple more questions before I let you go. Uh, although I don't want to because I love this conversation that we're having. But two more questions. One is um, a question I always ask of all my guests. Is there a book that you could recommend that's made an impact on you and your career? Oh, wow. You know, you don't have to pick one. It's always a, oh, a tough. Two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's all right. I'll pick one. Uh, you know, I, I'm a, uh, a big fan of Small Giants by Bo Burlingham. Mm. Um, the whole concept of a small giant is this idea that you can be great even if you, you know, even if you don't, uh, even if you aren't big or it's better to be great than big. Let's call it that. And so he profiles a bunch of companies that have decided to just be such uh, best in class or just be such a leader in their space, but not necessarily grow and try to take over the world or the country or the state in terms of you know, franchises and everything else. So there's a lot of great companies there that, um, you know, are small companies if they're, you know, being compared to, you know, the Googles or the, you know, Amazons or, you know, the uh, McDonald's of the world, what you know, any of these, but they're still doing something that is absolutely fantastic and they're choosing to be great rather than just big. Um, so anyway, he goes through a bunch of them and it's, it's really inspiring. And I think, you know, with fresh box, uh, fresh books, sorry, as a, um, a bit of a, a you know an, a, an underdog in this space of you know trying to serve people with software you know it, it resonates for us it's helped me a lot but I think it also has a lot of value to anyone who's trying to start their own business uh, because out of the gates you definitely when you're planning you you definitely want to say how am I going to be great you want to answer that question before you say how am I going to get bigger um, you know that's that's the spirit of it and so that that's been um, you know hugely important for me well that is definitely going to get added to my list of right. kindle reads thank you for that recommendation and then lastly matt where can we find you or follow you online oh great so I, i'm on uh, you know if you go to freshbooks.com i'm on there as well as all the other information that we that we talked about and um i'm on twitter at m bakerson um and feel free to reach me anytime that would be wonderful cool beans all right this has been fantastic thank you so much for sharing all your insights and your mad skills around this topic thank you lou i appreciate it have a good one thank you I hope you found this episode useful. For the show notes, all the links, and the transcript of my conversation with Matt Baker, head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for Second Breaks, the newsletter to get curated tips, trends, and insights that will help your career. Now, here's what's coming up next week. The idea and opportunity for your side hustle may come from unexpected places. And my guest next week, Casey Carr, will agree. Now, Casey is a sonographer who is also a writer and a book coach on the side. She was a bit frustrated with her writing career, so she hired a book coach to get some help. Not only was that experience beneficial to her as a writer, it also opened up an opportunity to become a book coach herself, something that she had never considered before. And with that, a new side gig was born. So you don't want to miss Casey's story. Now is a good time to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet. You can use whatever app it is that you're using right now to hit that subscribe button. Or if you happen to be listening to this episode on the website, below the audio player, uh, you're going to find options for podcast apps right there as well. A couple of other things that I want to say before I let you go. Thing number one, if you like listening to this podcast and find it useful, I'd so much appreciate it if you would share and tell your friends about it. 
And thing number two, if you are on Instagram, please find me at Lou Blazer. I love making new connections and turning this into a two-way conversation. So do look out for me there at Lou Blazer. Okie dokie. I'll be back next week with Casey Carr and her side hustle story. Until then, keep on making your day, my friends. Cool beans.